and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast, and this is number 122. Wednesday seems to come around sooner every week, which is a bad thing, as it's the day that the recycling containers go out, in the rain. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and amazingly, it's almost the end of February. Time flies when you've got nowhere to go, apparently. Younger children here in Scotland are back in school and the results from the vaccinations seem to be pretty good, so hopefully things are looking up. The weather isn't, but that's par for the course. We did have some nice weather at the weekend, just enough to make you think spring is just around the corner. Only when you do turn the corner, winter punches you in the mouth again. And just to be sure you got the message, it also kicks you in the shin. I was looking at the vents in Europe in the latter part of 2021 again this week, probably for nothing more than torture, but maybe some of them will happen. At the moment, I'm just looking forward to being able to browse around stores again and get my son's hair cut. In lockdown one, there was a bit of an unfortunate incident involving my wife and my head shaver when she didn't put a guard on it and shaved a three-inch wide strip up the back of his head. What was really bad about it is that I was the one that had to fix it, and so for some reason I ended up with the blame. Sadly, we didn't create a video that went viral online. I'm sure you've probably got plenty of lockdown stories of your own. As always, I'm off on a tangent that doesn't involve the subject of today's interviews, so I will clumsily get back on track without a seamless link and tell you who this week's guests are. The show is a bit shorter than usual this week, but that's not a problem, and I promise not to use it as an excuse to talk even more. This week we again have three conversations on the podcast. We have Elodie Makariu, Senior Product Manager at Lactali Ingredients, Zikart Lai, Director of Sales, Food and Beverage, and Werner Steidler, Technical Sales Manager at Optima Consumer. And we also talk to the Chief Operating Officer of Good Culture, and that is Becky Griedebeck. And of course, we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. The news in the UK this week seems to have been dominated by a timetable for lockdown to end, or maybe end, and we've been getting some more stunning images from Mars this week as well, thanks to NASA. I do still remember some of those Apollo missions on a very small black and white television. I think with less channels it was much more impactful back then. Nowadays, by the time I've gone through all the channels to pick out what to watch, I can't remember what the first one was. But at least I did remember to write the recap of this week's news, so you're not in the dark with what's happened in the industry over the past seven days. So, here's the news. Demand for McQueen's Dairy's doorstop milk delivery in the UK is growing, food and beverage manufacturers are being urged to make healthier products, and in its 2020 financial report, Kerry Group revealed it is reviewing its dairy-related businesses. Nature's One has committed to purity and nutritional science for its products. Isigny saint mer Dairy Cooperative in France has received accreditation for its infant formula milk powder testing laboratory. And a study on six-and-a-half-year-olds given experimental formula up to six months of age found that while there were differences at six months, there really weren't many at six-and-a-half. Danone published its financials and is looking to recovery in 2021. And the company also announced the purchase of Follow Your Heart to add to its plant-based portfolio. Organic Garage is set to acquire plant-based The Future of Cheese Company in Canada. Good Culture has partnered with Dairy Farmers of America with the Path to Pasture program. And Tetra Pak launched certified recycled polymers. 
Else Nutrition has developed clean processing of ingredients for its infant formula. Muller in the US is targeting the convenience and wholesale sectors with price-marked packs. And the GDT has published its annual report. You can read all of these and plenty more at dairyreporter.com. So let's keep things moving with our first guest. Lactily Ingredients has expanded its range with a micellar casein isolate. The company pointed to the aging population driving demand for functional food and drink. To tell us more about it is Elodie Macariu, Senior Product Manager at Lactali Ingredients. All right, to start with, I wonder if you could tell me what native micellar casein is? Before explaining what is a native micellar casein, I think it's important to start with the more global definition of a native protein. So Lactalis ingredients consider the protein native when there have been no modification to its original form and composition found in the milk. So for us, a native protein is a finished protein derived from milk that was minimally processed without modifying the original structure of any of the materials. So you see, there are two key points to define pronative as native proteins, a non-denaturing process and a unique composition. So pronative native micellar casein answers to this definition as it is extracted directly from milk with minimal processing and without adding additives or chemicals. And what is the relevance of this to today's consumer? Today's consumers want to adapt a more beneficial diet and nutrition is more than ever seen as a means of prevention and staying healthy. Moreover, the aging population is driving demand for functional food and drink. And as people live longer, their sick years increase. It means that life expectancy is growing, but not the healthy one. That is why healthy aging will be one of the main concerns in the coming years. Therefore, people are looking for food that helps them live healthier for longer and prevent the occurrence of health problems. Dairy proteins, such as native micellar caseins, have therefore all their importance in this context. Are consumers actively seeking out products that can help them with aging and by being proactive with their health? And sort of a follow-up question to that is, do you think that the pandemic has changed this? Yes, completely. We strongly believe that senior nutrition is moving from cure to prevention, and aging well products are targeting not only older consumers, but also younger consumers who are proactive about healthy aging. For many consumers, staying active is a priority. Muscle and joint health claims are therefore important given the potential for muscle loss due to aging. Proteins benefits for muscle growth, recovery, and weight management make them ideal for food and drink fortification. And I think that it is even more true since the beginning of the COVID-19 epidemic. Indeed, the rapid progression of the COVID-19 epidemic has put health back at the forefront of consumers' concerns, and consumers are more aware of the link between their health and their food. How would this ingredient be used in finished products and what kind of products would it be suitable for? Pronative micellar casein can be used in a large variety of products. We can think about nutrition products first, namely high-protein products such as high-protein beverages, high-protein dessert creams or puddings. We can also think about protein supplementation or standardization in different dairy technologies, especially in cheese making. Pronative micellar casein can be dispersed in liquid milk or in water. And for good rehydration and solubilization, 
we recommend to disperse it in warm water, typically around 50 to 60 degrees. And what are the advantages of native micellar casein? Pronative micellar casein has a high casein ratio. This provides some unique functional properties. It has a very high heat stability, either in UHT processing or in retorting. This allows to prepare products with top high protein content, well above 10%, without processing issues, and with a controlled texture of the finished products. Just to illustrate the unique properties of pronative micellar casein, it makes it possible to prepare UHT protein beverages with protein content up to 15% with a nice free texture. It will also be adapted for the formulation of high-protein creams with a smooth, creamy, and ungelified texture. Pronative micellar casein has not only a high casein ratio, but also a preserved native structure of the casein micelles. Indeed, it is processed from fresh milk with gentle membrane filtration processing, as I was saying earlier. The combination of the high casein ratio with the native structure of the casein micelles makes it an ideal milk protein source for cheese making. When it is added to the milk, it contributes to increase the cheese yield and to improve the texture of the cheese. In addition to its specific protein composition, pronative micellar casein has a very neutral and milky flavor. This can be an advantage compared to other protein sources like caseinates, for instance. And pronative can be a natural substitute for caseinates in creamers, for example, with a very clean taste. And last but not least, thanks to the gentle process, the nutritional value of the protein is intact. It is thus a high-quality source of protein, and it also contains micellar calcium. How does this add to your pronative range? As you may know, we were the first to perfect a technique that allows the gentle extraction of a new whey protein, pronative, which was the first native whey protein. And we were the first to demonstrate the nutritional benefits of native whey protein, with clinical studies. Today, we continue to explore this field of native proteins with this new product. With this micellar casein, Pronative becomes the brand of native proteins. Next, we're talking cottage cheese and probiotics, among other things, with US dairy food company Good Culture. And we had a chat with the company's relatively new chief operating officer, Betty Griedebeck. I wonder if you could first give me some background on the company, the products. Yeah, absolutely. So Good Culture is a fairly new dairy company, cultured dairy company that primarily started with cottage cheese, a cottage cheese that we consider like a real healing food. Um, It was founded by Jesse Merrill and Anders Eisner, both very active outdoor folks. And, you know, cottage cheese was a staple of, you know, what they what they liked, but we're always trying to find something that was clean label and weren't quite finding what they, you know, what they wanted. And so they um, started Good Culture, which, you know, is based on a premise of real healing foods and simple foods, um, you know, using a milk supply source that's organic and pasture raised. We have an organic line as well as a pasture raised line. And, you know, with this, you know, they have this mindset of wanting to do better, really regenerative ag focus. And personally, that's a story that really resonates with me, um, being as my husband and I are also organic dairy farmers. So, you know, they wanted to create change. And so it's a B Corp, you know, mission-driven corp. And they have a 1% for the planet program where they take funds and 
put it back into creating change within the supply of the product that they have. Do you think that with the pandemic and with all that's been going on lately that people are looking for foods that are perceived as healthier now? Yeah, I would say so. People are eating more at home. They, they do the, the immune support and gut health has really been a trending change in the food industry as well. But it does appear that there is even a further elevation of, of that want coming out of the pandemic. So it does fit a platform that food is medicine in, in some aspects. And I guess at some point in the not too distant past, cottage cheese had a bit of a stigma attached to it. What did the founders of the company see in cottage cheese as something that they wanted to get into and what sets it apart from other companies that produce cottage cheese? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, cottage cheese can be a very healthy food, but they were finding that a lot of brands had a lot of stabilizers and a lot of ingredients in there and and they were kind of runny and just not something they wanted to consume you know, trying to think of a minimalistic approach. And so, you know, when we look at Good Culture Cottage Cheese, it's a simple ingredient, got added protein or higher protein than some other brands. There's no gums, emulsifiers, stabilizers. And one of my favorite things, honestly, about it is really the experience, the taste experience, the creaminess that you get when you actually consume it. It's interesting because cottage cheese is the category in the dairy industry that's been fairly stagnant and really even declining in growth. Some would say that it was something that, you know, our parents or grandparents would eat and it used to be a staple, but it was kind of losing some of that. And so the interesting thing, and especially since the pandemic, but there's been an increase in growth in the cottage category as a whole. And also even with this brand alone, we've seen year over year double digit growth, which shows that it can still be, you know, an exciting, healthy food. And I personally find a lot of value in that. I think dairy is such a whole food. Um, there's there's so much to dairy, you know, having a food science background, having some nutrition background, and even just being a farmer, like anytime we can drive growth and drive excitement over a product that promotes dairy, I think is really critical. And do you think that cottage cheese lends itself to, again, it used to be plain and occasionally you'd get onion or pineapple. Do you think it's a medium that lends itself to doing more with cottage cheese? I think it's a medium that lends itself to do more with cottage cheese. But I think the other thing, you know, is we think through that the brand, this good culture brand is such that we can continue to grow and really even expand across into new platforms. Because really the premise of good culture is primarily cottage cheese, but we have other cultured products, sour cream, smoothies. And so the real goal is to drive healing cultured products. You mentioned the probiotic smoothies. And and as you said, um, it's really become center stage recently with the pandemic. Is that one of the plans is to increase the range and increase the amount of probiotic products that you carry? Yeah, I would say that our really, our goal is to really disrupt additional dairy categories. We feel like the brand has license to extend. And so being as it's our premise, being as it's what we believe in and also what consumers are looking for, that is definitely, you know, an area that we want to pursue. Have you seen growth in all categories from the company because of the pandemic? What I would say is we've seen growth. Cottage sour cream, the smoothies have been fairly stable. 
but if you look at that format with, with the smoothies, as we launched them, we were also coming into a pandemic. And so being that they're a single serve, we wanted to take a more cautious approach with that. And so on a personal level, you've been there for a, a few weeks now. Um, what was it that attracted you to the company and what are you hoping to bring to the company? Yeah, and I think to you know voice what attracts me to the company, I maybe give you a little bit of background on, my, on myself. Uh, my husband and I are organic dairy farmers, which I had indicated earlier, you know, I've a long history of being in the dairy industry, spent years with an organic dairy cooperative and have a strong desire to work for a brand and a company that wants to, you know, make a difference. So, you know, to me, it felt like the culture was a really great fit. Um, I've had a background in R&D and supply chain and applications. And so taking on this supply chain role gives me the ability to help drive change and growth across this, really the supply chain all the way from quality and R&D and purchasing to manufacturing. And so the things I see very high level on trying to help and drive change with is really focusing on how we continue to be able to support our large growth. That in and of itself <laughs> is a bit of a job to make sure that, you know, you, you have the ability to run the products you need to run. Also have a strong, you know, want to help support their innovation and growth across platforms. And I think with some of my past experience, I can really help bring some things to the table there. And to me, one of the biggest things, obvious things is, you know, to have a brand that's growing and a brand that's very positive, we need to deliver quality. Those are the three main things that I feel like I can help make traction on and focusing out of the gate. And what does 2021 hold for the company and again that's if you're allowed to tell me no yeah, trade right. secrets or anything right right absolutely well what i you know can tell you is that 2021 um, we are looking at continuing our growth in core categories we are also looking at the potential of launching into some adjacent categories within the dairy industry can't quite talk about them yet but we do definitely have some things that are exciting is there anything else that you wanted to mention that i didn't ask well, I think, you know, my biggest thing that I like to promote and anytime I get a chance to talk about it <laughs> is really, you know, food as a whole food and how the systems and how we produce food can really have an impact on what we get out of it, both from a production perspective, from an animal perspective, but also from a personal perspective when you look at whole and health in a sustainable food system. So anytime I can have a role where I feel like we can drive that change, and add value, I'm very excited. <laughs> Next, it's over to Germany to talk about infant formula machines. Optima Consumer has developed new equipment for the fully automated evacuation, gassing, and seaming of infant formula containers. And after talking about football, music, the pandemic, travel, and all kinds of other things, we finally did talk about the new equipment with Sieghart Lai. Director, Sales, Food and Beverage, and Werner Steidler, Technical Sales Manager at Optima Consumer. And it is Sieghart we hear from first. I guess the first and obvious question would be if you could tell me something about the company Optima Consumer. Yes. Well, um, thank you, Jim. Uh, Optima is a family-owned company in the third generation. The grandfather of our current owner, um, Mr. Hans Bühler, he found the company in 1922. 
Well, and uh, in these almost 100 years, we've made quite a development to what we are right now. Nowadays, we are, to give you some figures, we are a little bit more than 2,400 employees worldwide. And the turnover last year was consolidated more than 400 million euro. We are present with our subsidiaries in North, South America, uh, and throughout Asia. And of course, uh, we have various locations here in Central Europe. The heart and the headquarter of Optima is here in our hometown in the southern part of Germany, in Schwäbisch Hall. Um, and this is, to give you an, an impression where we are, this is in the middle um, between Frankfurt and Munich. The group itself is divided into three divisions. We have division for the pharma industry, for non-wovens application, and that's where we are from, the consumer division. And uh, the common thing of the entire group is we are supplying packaging solution and we are doing this uh, with and in the form of packaging machines. Coming now to, to consumer, inside consumer, the biggest department is the food and beverage department. Here, we are um, focusing successfully, quite successfully, on two um, key markets. This is the uh, single soft market in the coffee industry, and finally, the powdered infant formula market. And now, uh, as you may ask, um, well, what are you standing for? I just like to give you the feedback which we got just two weeks ago from uh, one of our uh, key customers in the annual business review. And there it, it was stated out that we are, I'm just reading now the, the protocol, the minutes of meeting, we are a reliable partner with a high degree of customer orientation. And I really think that hits pretty nicely the point. So I wonder if you could tell me about the Optima FS and the EGS? The Optima FS is the well-known and well-proven filler technology of Optima for the infant formula industry. With this uh, rotary machine, we are filling powdered infant formula in all kinds of rigid containers, of course, mainly um, in metal tins, but uh, as well with different uh, speeds. Well, and then what are the characteristics or, or which keywords are standing for this filler? And here are some examples. The, the FS is known for the hygienic design. It's, of course, the product safety. It's the reliability. It's the minimized TCO. And last but not least, it's well known, uh, of course, for the high accuracy. The second uh, machine you mentioned, that's the Optima EGS. This is our latest, but as well already award-winning solution. And what does it mean, EGS? EGS stands for evacuation, guessing, and seeming in one monoblock machine. And what does the EGS address? The Optima EGS is the result of our strategic approach to the infant formula business. In close and many discussions with our uh, customers, we recognize that there are, firstly, that there is a clear wish and as well the need 
for improving the current guessing and sealing uh, solutions and processes. And secondly, it turned out that it's clearly preferred that there is a turnkey solution for the heart of an infant formula line that the customers really want a turnkey solution for the high care room. And um, these discussions and this uh, strategic process finally uh, led into the development and as well the successful market launch of the Optima EGS. And for companies that are using the Optima EGS, what are the benefits and advantages to it? Yeah, com compared to the other post-gassing systems in high-speed lines up to 250 cans per minute, the footprint is 50 to 60% smaller and therefore quite similar to systems where pre-gassing is used. In other post-gassing systems, a clincher is needed to prevent that particles fall into the can during the evacuation and gassing process. At our EGS, we don't need a clincher and our patented functional lid covers the can during evacuation and gassing process and prevents that foreign bodies or particles fall into the can. The EGS works as an FIFO system, that means first can in and first can out. And this also means that the process times are for all cans the same. Each can can has his own evacuation chamber with an IPC, that means in-process control, where the absolute pressure is monitored. Our customers can use this as well as a part of their track and trace feature. And how important is safety and how does this address safety? Safety of operator and product is an essential part of all Optima machines. At EGS, we have a gasket at the doors closing hermetically to the base plate of the machine so that the gas is prevented to flush out of the machine. There are sensors for CO2 and O2 measuring. CO2 is heavier as normal atmosphere, so the CO2 is distributed at the base frame, and there we have different tubes installed aspirating the gas. The doors can only be opened when the set gas values are conform and doesn't endanger to the operator. Due to the installed aspiration, the doors can be opened after production without some seconds. This is a clear advantage compared to the systems using pre-gas product on filler up to the seamount. Therefore, a higher OEE is achieved because we don't have waiting times before the machine doors can be opened to do a format change or to clean. The product is protected with a functional lid, preventing that foreign bodies or particles can fall into the can during the evacuation and the gassing process. And uh, how do you guarantee that in every can the oxygen level has been successfully reduced to 1%? Yeah, it's, it's a simple calculation. So the normal atmosphere is approximately 1,000 millibars. So each vacuum chamber is equipped with a pressure sensor. During the evacuation uh, process, an absolute pressure of only 20 millibar or lower is achieved. After the vacuum process, the evacuated chamber is gas flashed with CO2, nitrogen, or a mix of it, to an absolute pressure of, again, approximately 1,000 millibars. Reaching a 20 millibar absolute pressure in the vacuum chamber means that the normal rest air in the chamber, or the can, has 2% normal atmosphere and 98% of inert gas. In the normal atmosphere, there is approximately 20% O2, and the calculation means then 20% from 2% and that 
that means that you will have a rest oxygen calculated of uh, approximately 0.4%. And uh, how about the safety of the operator in production? Yeah, all our machines are uh, CE conform. And uh, as we said before, uh, we have a gas sensors to protect the operators. We have aspiration systems, which uh, assure that the gas is evacuated from the machine before the doors can be opened. And what, what about the inert gas N2 and carbon dioxide on the shop floor? Yeah, the, that's um, normally the high care room has its own uh, sensors as well. So we have, uh, let's say, a double, a double security here because we have installed the sensors in the machine. And uh, we have the aspiration tubes where we can evacuate uh, the CO2. And how do you prevent dust in the seam when it's being vacuumized so fast? The system itself is equipped with a so-called functional lid. This patent-pended system is covering the rim of the tin on its way throughout the machine. And by this, it's covered closely and it's covered hermetically during the evacuation and guessing process. And by this, we can guarantee that there is no dust on the rim and then finally on the seam. And what happens if production's interrupted? Yeah, in case that in the downstream is a stop, the line control or sensors will indicate this to the EGS. The infit of the cans into the EGS is stopped and the EGS will be emptied with the gas and seam cans. Therefore, no loss of cans in case of a stop in the downstream. In case that there is a stop in the upstream of the machines, the EGS works until a minimum quantity of the cans is on the infeed of the machine. The EGS stops the infeed of the cans into the machine and empties the EGS with gas and seam cans. So finally, it means we will have no lost cans in the system. It doesn't matter if it is an upstream stop or downstream stop in the line. Is this already in being sold and being used in any um, companies around the world? Yes, we have. Uh, the first customer was here in Germany. This machine is already running since uh, yeah, one and a half year in production with very good results. And we have sold another four machines to uh, one of the biggest Chinese customer. And the reaction has been good so far to the product? Yes, the, the reaction is, is very good uh, to this product because we are combining the two gassing systems which are on the market. For example, we have um, a pre-gassing system and the pre-gassing system has one big advantage compared to other conventional uh, post-gassing system and that's the footprint. So uh, with our EGS, as said before, we can reduce the footprint uh, compared to other pre-gassing system up to 50-60%. And that's a very good cost saver for our customers. And it has the advantage to have a, a post-gassing system. The advantage here compared to pre-gassing is that uh, we don't have to gas flash the complete machines, means the filler and the seamer. So uh, this gassing of machines that takes a time. We heard about 15 minutes from customers they need before they can really start with the production. And the same at the end of the production, they need to evacuate all this uh, gas from the machines that takes another 15 minutes. And so they lose production time uh, about 30 minutes. And you can imagine if you do a, a product change two times a day, then you are losing simply one hour every day 
just because of waiting times. Now that you have that EGS, do you are you constantly working on upgrades to that? Well, of course, we are working continuously on upgrades. We will as well look on the portfolio for the high care room. So we are working on their different developments. And uh, as mentioned, it is a highly strategic or a strategic market of really high importance. So further developments with further machines and system for sure will follow. We have a so-called continuous improvement system where we work together with our customer to, yeah, to ask them simply, where do you see a weak point on the machine? And when we know the weak points, then we can improve it. All right. Well, is there anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, of course, is welcome to come to Optima to see the machines. Yes. A little bit difficult right now, but um, we are doing uh, WebEx team meetings. We can show and present all the features uh, with videos, etc. So everybody's welcome to, yeah. to talk deeper with us yeah. about projects. To do virtual shop floor tools and so on. So really, our doors are always open and our customers are more than welcomed to visit us in real or to do a virtual visit. Now it's over to Dublin, where I assume it's hammering it down with rain as much as it is here, to get our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. This week saw butter market on the future side uh, continue to strengthen. A lot of it attributed to uh, maybe retail demand. Uh, Skimmel powder, on the other hand, uh, was a little bit weaker. So we had um, March butter up around 20 euros uh, on the week to the 37.45 level. Quarter two butter was up around the same 15, 20 euros as well to around 38.15, 38.20 level. Quarter three was a good bit stronger, up around 50 euros on the week to the 38.80 level. And uh, quarter four was up around 60 euros on the week to the 39, 3,900, 3,910 level on the week. As I say, skimmel powder was a bit softer. Uh, March, okay, was flat around the 23.65 level. Uh, quarter two was down around 20 euros to 23.60 level. Quarter three was down around 40 euros on the week to the 2,400 level. And quarter four was quiet, but trading around the 34.45, 24.50 level on the week. Way was uh, trading around the 8.65 level. Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. StoneX, formerly INTLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another show. It looks like we're all set for next week's as well, hopefully. I'm really looking forward to doing some in-person interviews again, preferably without masks. I have to do some photography this afternoon as it's my son's ninth birthday today and I'm hoping to get a photo that when he looks back, he will be as embarrassed as I am whenever I look back at my ninth birthday photo. The size of those collars back in the 70s and the hairstyle and the lack of collar coordination. At least this generation will have the excuse of the lockdown. For those of you in Canada or the northern parts of the US where it's still a little chilly, just remember spring training starts in four days. Summer will be here before you know it. In fact, there are only 12 weeks left of school here before the summer holidays. So on that hopefully positive note, I hope wherever in the world you may be that you have a great week. Stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening.